Hey, Slingers. Thanks for joining me for another fun-filled week of Word Slinger Podcast. I'm glad to have you here. I'm, uh, I'm chatting with Scott King. He's an author, podcaster, photographer of board games. Uh, you're not going to get much more eclectic than this guy. So stick around. You're going to want to hear this interview. Plus, later in the show, updates on Cockygate. You heard it here first. This episode of the Word Slinger Podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at drafttodigital.com. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours now? Here's the guy who invented Pants Optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Uh, I'm so glad you stuck around. I hope uh, hope you're having a fantastic day. Now, I am. Uh, I'm real excited about this interview with Scott. Uh, Scott and I talked way back in March. You know, that gives you an idea of how far in advance I stack these things. Um, but uh, Scott and I talked about his career, his writing, his marketing, uh, and specifically his new book, Outlining Your Novel. Uh, so we're, I'm glad we could bring that to you. Outlining isn't something I do. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Uh, maybe I should give it a shot again. I've tried it a few times. It's not really my, not really my thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some could argue that I might uh, benefit from the practice. So I may try that out. Um, now, before we get into this interview with Scott, uh, and later, by the way, you're going to want to stick around for the news because I got some, some cool stuff you're going to want to hear about. <laughs> Specifically, I've got an update on Cockygate that somehow slipped under my radar initially, but uh, I'm glad to bring that story to you. And uh, we're also, I've also got a news item about uh, Barnes & Noble letting go of their CEO. Uh, you may have heard this story, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and cover that. I think, it's a, I think that's an interesting topic as well. So stick around uh, for those news items after the interview. Uh, before we jump in, um, just uh, the sort of personal update stuff. I, uh, so, you know, you may or may not know that I've been renting out our RV uh, to people on via a service called Outdoorsy. I actually have an interview with uh, one of the uh, one of the one of the principals at Outdoorsy. I should I'll, I'll bring live pretty soon. But um, the uh, the uh, whole rental thing has been interesting <laughs> because for starters, um, I was a little concerned, of, of course, at first that this was going to be a nightmare. Uh, but I've decided to take the approach of you know well, I have a philosophy. Um, this, some of this comes from my, my, uh, faith, my Christian background. Um, this idea that we're, we're going to be taken care of, you know, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So I, I take that as a promise and I take it out on faith, but, um, regardless of what your personal, uh, beliefs are and where you stand, I have this, uh, philosophy I live by that everything I need is right in front of me. So if, if something comes up, if a problem emerges, uh, if there's something I need to solve, there are resources in front of me at all times. I can, I can find a way. I can find a way with enough confidence, enough faith, enough uh, creativity. There's always um, there are always enough resources. That's the philosophy I've chosen to live by. Whether or not you agree with that is up to you. But um, that has been tested severely <laughs> over the past 
past uh, few weeks. So we've had two renters so far, and we've got more lined up. Uh, this has been a great opportunity for us, um, you know, because we have the RV. We're not living in it full time anymore. We can't travel in it all the time. So it's, it becomes a source of revenue for us as we uh, – as we move on to other things and we've got other plans and the RV actually renting the RV actually fits in with some of our, our future plans. Um, but you know, they renting an RV as a business, just like writing. And with this business are challenges and there's overhead and there's uh, there's things you got to deal with. Um, <clears throat> the first renter, when we got the RV back, there were certain little things wrong. Uh, Minor, mostly cosmetic. The the seats, the driver's seat, for example, uh, had dry rotted somewhere along the way. And so their first trip, uh, all the vinyl on the seat, the faux leather comes flaking off. Um, it's hideous. I don't like it. I'm going to find a way to fix that. Uh, probably just a seat cover, but uh, I'll, I'll make that aesthetically pleasing again at some point. It's just what I do. Um, but the uh, there were other little things like the... The fan in the uh, f- the freezer stopped running, so the uh, the refrigerator wasn't cooling. Um, that was an opportunity for me to to learn how to fix that, and I did. Um, the windshield wipers stopped working, um, and I've I've figured out what's wrong there, and there's parts missing from it. So I, I'm you know I'm ordering parts. I'm going to fix that. Uh, the seat, the power seat, stopped working. I I have an electronics engineering background, so that actually helped me with this one. I was able to trace out what was wrong and uh, and fix that. So there are little, little things like that, right? There's a maintenance uh, side to a business like this that I'm not going to be able to do myself forever uh, because I got books to write and I got uh, tours to go on and conferences to attend and, and podcasts to do, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I'm going to eventually have to bring someone in. But there's a good side to this in that um, I'm learning what it takes. Uh, when I was in video production... Uh, I had to do all the jobs until I was able to afford to pay people to do them. And the benefit of that was I learned all the jobs. I know what their value is. I know what it takes. It's harder to take advantage of me in that field because I know what goes into it and what to expect and what the rates should be, all of that. Um, and the same is true for the RV. It's a it's a heavy maintenance burden, but because I'm willing to do it, I learn all the jobs. I learn everything, and I have very hands-on um, knowledge of the RV. And so, uh, I know what, I know what to expect and I know what to ask for. So I'm learning more of that as I go. Um, that applies to your writing career as well. You know, uh, the marketing is something that people always want to outsource. Marketing is something you should definitely, I, I resisted this too, trust me, but marketing is definitely something you should be very hands-on about. Um, both in terms of learning, going out and Listening to podcasts like this one or Creative Pen or whatever they're calling self-publishing podcasts these days, <laughs> and uh, um, you know, picking up books on on craft, on marketing, uh, you know, learn learn more about your trade. Um, there's no end of resources. You've got YouTube, you've got podcasts, you've got blogs, you've got books. If you don't have a budget, go uh, go find the free stuff. It's there's plenty of it out there. So it costs you time and effort. And, and energy, uh, a little bit of discipline involved in that, but you can do that and you can learn more about it. And if you do that, and if you're hands on with your marketing, instead of trying to hand it off to someone, instead of trying to, uh, coax someone into marketing on your behalf, uh, what you do is you pick up, uh, what matters. You pick up some intrinsic knowledge that you're able to use. 
<laughs> so, uh, and, and you grow, uh, you grow as an author, you grow as a marketer, you grow as a human being. So, uh, anyway, I wasn't really intending to do a little life lesson there, but, uh, I think that that is applicable to most authors. I think you can, uh, you can use that advice, uh, to grow your career. But, uh, the update is, um, we had a second renter who uh, took the RV to New York by way of North Carolina from, from Houston. So it's quite a drive. And uh, the RV started developing mysterious electrical problems. Uh, the headlights stopped working. Then the uh, turn signals. Then the cameras. Um, a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> and these poor people are stranded. They're stranded at one point at a gas station in the middle of nowhere at night. They just had to bunk down them and their three little children, um, who are all all under the age of I'd say you know five. Uh, so uh, you know not not ideal, but um, they're okay now. And we found out what the problem was. I had to take it to a uh, camping world. Turned out the hood was not latching properly. No, no, this is a long stretch, but the hood was not latching properly. That caused it to uh, vibrate and shear off some bolts. And one of those bolts was a grounding bolt for the electrical system. <laughs> it cost me 300 bucks out of pocket to fix, but it's fixed. So, uh, you know, there's a, been a little minor things. There's a new chip in the windshield, a crack in the windshield, I'm told. So that'll be something I have to deal with. But all this, uh, through all this, I kept reminding myself, I've got everything I need. I've got all the resources I need right in front of me. And I did. I had, because I was here in Command Central... Uh, I was able to get online, uh, you know, check for, I found manuals, I found, uh, forums that were not incredibly helpful. I found other services that were not helpful at all. Um, and then I had a community of folks who were supporting me in this and helping, helping us figure this out. And then eventually, uh, you know, we were able to get this, this done. We were able to get this solved. So, um, take whatever life lessons you, you want from that. I just thought that'd be an interesting story, especially uh, in light of last week. Uh, you heard my interview with Mike Winland and Jennifer Winland, uh, from the road trekking RV lifestyle podcast. Uh, and if you like that, they did a full interview of me on that same show or on their show, uh, which you can actually hear at, uh, on, I've, I've got a link on the show notes of this page, uh, but the full interview is available at bit.ly slash 154-roadtrek. That'll send you straight to that interview on the Road Trekking Podcast. Uh, and I talk about writing a book from the road. I talk about starting a uh, publishing career. So you, you may be very interested in that. Um, go check that out. So all that said, uh, we're going to move on over finally. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> to my my good friend Scott King and uh, we're going to talk about outlining your novel among other things so uh, thank you for sticking through I hope you enjoy this interview stick around for industry news on the other side and I'll see you there hey thanks for tuning in thanks for sticking around through that intro I know how riveting those intros can be uh, but I do appreciate you uh, you know not not just uh, checking out right afterward uh, but I'm I'm actually talking to now this guy's a uh, among other things is a fellow podcaster. Uh, he's the author of Outline Your Novel. Uh, he's a fiction author. Uh, he does a little everything. He's a photographer. Uh, the Scott, there's so much, man. I'm talking to Scott King. He's he's prolific. Emperor of all is that what you said? I don't remember. I left off one of your titles. One of your. Uh, yeah, I prefer to be be addressed as as King Scott King. 
King Scott King. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to actually get to chat with you. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, now I've been on your show mm-hmm. uh, forever ago. Was that pre-drafted digital? Was I on your show before DDD? I, I think it was like a week before it got announced, so you probably knew, and then yeah. you just kept it secret. Mm-hmm. That's how I treated everybody. I wasn't able to. <laughs> I didn't know how how much announcement announcing I could do about it at the mm-hmm. time, but uh, but uh, you know, there's a, there's been a lot that's happened since then. Now I just got back from Smarter Artist Summit, uh, twenty eighteen. Okay uh and it was horrible it was awesome or what What it was uh it it was a good show it was a good good conference you know great this is a great way to connect to um other authors in this this specific slice of our community you know you know what i mean right like yeah there's there's self-published authors and then there's this group of self-published authors so uh of which you have uh been one for quite some time a self-published author yeah uh, yeah, I, technically, I think my first books that came out were graphic novels, and they were through a traditional publisher. And then it was like around 2013 that I was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and do this whole like self-publishing thing. Because by then it was like, oh, self-publishing isn't just selling books out of the trunk of your car. It's, it's a little right. more legitimized now. And, and right. just, I've been doing it ever since. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's what I mean, that there's a, there is a, there's a division there. Because there's still mm-hmm. those authors who who feel that self-publishing means paying thousands of dollars to, you know, this vanity press mm-hmm. and, then, and then loading up the trunk of their car and driving from, you know, one tiny little convention to another uh, all across the U S it's not for me. That's not, that's not the kind of self-publishing I'm interested in. So. Well, you're, you're dropped to digital now. I think you like kind of have to say that though. I am obligated, contractually obligated mm-hmm. to say. I don't believe in that kind. Of, no, but it's <laughs> you know, it's it's not affected. Now, what what uh, what made you shift? I mean, you were doing the graphic novels, uh, and you had a contract there. What made you shift to self publishing? It probably all started before that. Is is my intent was always to do screenwriting, and then the big plan was to to go to school, get the MFA, so I could teach college while trying to do the whole screenwriting thing. Right. Um, my, my father got really sick and I had to stay on the East coast. So then it became kind of like, well, I'm going to go ahead and do teaching and comics on the side. Cause comics are very close to film. You know, they're both scripts, they're collaborative mediums and so forth. Right. But then comics take forever to do because art just takes a while. Someone's got to draw every panel and then someone's got to ink the panels. Then you got to color the panels. Then you have to go ahead and letter it. And then you have to like actually physically print it. And it takes months on a ship from China or the Philippines or wherever it gets printed at. So, so comics just took forever. And it was a much more expensive process in addition because there are so many people. And it, it takes so much more man hours. Whereas right. writing, it's just kind of you, your computer, and whatever you're paying for, the editor and the cover and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, comics and graphic novels are something that was always on my bucket list when I when I started out. Uh, and I did a little bit of writing for comics and working with comic writers for a while. And that was a great experience. And never nothing I did ever really exploded, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, I didn't get like walking dead money or anything like that, <laughs> which is <laughs> a little unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but okay, so now you're you're doing the writing now. Uh, you you, how many books do you have out right now, by the way? I don't know. That's always the sinker question. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Uh, as <laughs> of to, no, Saturday I'll have 14 out. 
but then I have like three more in the can to come out later this year. That's the problem with us that uh, that are somewhat prolific is that we we don't keep track of how many we actually have out. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's at that point, you know, it's it's in your your chain. You're you're doing marketing and whatever else on it in terms of like ads for Facebook or BookBub right. or AMS, right. and you're not really worried about it. You're more worried about what's the next big thing you're working on. Right, right, yeah, yeah that progression. Yeah, it's interesting because you know when you when I talk to uh, traditional authors that, you know, they're, they're thinking in terms of years when it's a, when they talk about a book that, that, that mm -hmm. book represents, you know, this three year segment of my life. I, I, I can't even imagine that. So prolific authors then tend, tend to be those who have been around for quite a while. Uh, and then you've got the indie crowd that comes along and they've, they'll triple that author's output in a matter of one or two years, but you, you could do it even faster because you've got a whole book on, uh, where I wrote, 30 day author you you went and bitch slapped me with one that that uh was much faster you have the five day novel tell tell me about that <laughs> i i would say that that why is 30 days not good enough for you scott because once you get into the industry you know know how the different genres work there are a lot of very hardcore romance authors and they right. have to write and put out one or two or maybe in three books a month just because that's how voracious the readers are. Right. And a lot of people not in the industry automatically think romance equals erotica. And those, those are two very different genres. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the money is actually in romance. Romance makes more than, than all the other genres. Oh. It's, just, it's just where it is. So it's, it's not seen as a respective medium to be writing, but it is very much what's funding a lot of the industry itself. Yeah. So what's, what's crazy is after meeting a lot of romance authors through the indie scene, smarter artists and places like that, I, I was just shocked at how hard they work because you, you really have to work hard at it. You got to constantly mm -hmm. crank out those books. Yeah. I will never be a romance author. I, I didn't just because I don't read romance, but I kept thinking, you know, could, could I, could I write a novel as fast as they are writing? Can I kind of get a system down that will let me do that? I don't know. Let's find out. And that's kind of how the five day novel happened. I said, all right, I'm going to write a novel in five days and then I'm going to document how I did it and then do a book about it. So it's a very meta project where there's the, the physical novel, which is, you know, a thriller, political thriller set in DC. And then there's the nonfiction book, the five day novel, which is about writing the thriller in five days. Right. Now, so, uh, what, is, how, 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 what's the word count we're talking about with this five day novel? Uh, it was 50,000 plus I did like a backup short story. So it's, it's just under 60. Okay. All right. So that's, and that to me, that's an investment of uh, some solid writing days. You know, I mean, I did my, I did evergreen in one day, 60,000 mm -hmm. words. Now it's like 80,000 after edits and et cetera, but mm -hmm. 60,000 words one day nearly killed me. Right. Like I'll never repeat the experience. It's one of those things where it's like, I, I have a really dumb idea that that could be fun once and then you never do it again. You, but you're, are you talking about writing in five day increments consistently with this process? No, in terms of the project, I kind of just wanted to do it to see if I could do it. Right. And then it was much more about just figuring out what my process is so that I could space it out over maybe 10 days or 30 days or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, that's the same, you know, it's, it, it's all about showing, it's that, what, the four minute mile idea, right? Well, I mean, right right now I'm getting into epic fantasy and then those books are, are much longer. So like the next book I have to write is probably going to be 120 to 150,000 words. And right. I, I 
I can't do that in five days. That's that's too much. I quitter. <laughs> there's a uh, physical yes. limit of how much you can type <laughs> i learned my limit i know what it is now it's it's not that it's too high and, and was that all typing there was that wasn't narr- uh you uh narrating uh voice to text or anything like that oh yeah i do have strictly all all typed yeah and then for the five day novel it was i wasn't allowed to do anything ahead of time so i did no pre-writing so the very first day was like i did the outlining and character creation and that kind of stuff yeah and then i did the first draft then i did the rewrites then i did you know a polish and so forth and then it got sent to the editor before the end of the fifth day yeah yeah okay so what's remarkable about this then Uh, well it's remarkable anyway of course man but what sticks out to me then is uh like i i do that stuff i don't outline Mm. right you actually took the time to do it right you know to actually outline the book before you you wrote it do you think the outline contributed to the speed uh yes and no i i would say that a lot of one of the big benefits of outlining is that when you're in the thick of it it makes sure you don't get lost and you don't ever have to actually stick to the outline you can veer off in whatever directions and i talk about this in the five-day novel There there were parts in the books that I hadn't planned on happening. There were characters who were supposed to be minor characters and they became, you know, major cast members throughout the book. So just creation itself evolves. But the the benefit of the outline is that if you do get off track, if you do kind of hit a wall, it's there to make sure you can keep moving forward no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I recognize the benefits of the outline. I just uh, can't seem to force myself to get into that rhythm. But you, luckily, you, you have a book aimed at perfecting that exact skill. <laughs> oh, Outline Your Novel? Outline Your Novel. Yes, yeah. that, that's, so that's, that's the newest one, is Outline Your Novel. It came out like a week and a half ago. And it's, it's basically a whole process of, well, I guess part one is very much about like, this is what structure is and how structure works. Because right. you can't really just jump into the physical act of outlining. You kind of have to get the, the basis. So then part two is out, the whole outlining section. And I outline a full novel in there. And then wow. part three is very much about how do you go ahead and adapt your outline? When is it okay to not listen to the outline and things like that? Yeah, so, you, okay. Uh, what is, you, I, I'm curious what <laughs> the foundation is. Okay. Like, what does foundation mean when it comes to the outline? Because honestly, this is how most of us think of it. The outline is the foundation of the book. So you're saying there's a step before that. I think there is an understanding of what structure is. Uh, a lot yeah. of people, even who have tried writing books, don't know what a three-act structure is. Right, and, right. and even at its, its very basis, a three-act structure is, okay, this is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end. But they maybe don't know why that matters or, or right. why setting up characters in the beginning help with payoffs that happen in the third act and so forth. So, so that's what the first act part of the book is is very much laying that kind of foundation down well what is a character arc and defining those things so that when it gets to the outline we don't have to waste time with like lectures and teaching okay so part part one is kind of an overview of craft right and then part two is like i actually get in there and i I outline my epic fantasy book and then part three we come back and it's very much like oh this is where i didn't listen and this is why i didn't listen and you know what you have an author voice make sure you listen to yourself and not the outline and so forth Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. I, I, uh, okay, so what's your advice for somebody who chronically just cannot outline? <laughs> I, I would say that, at least in the book, the way I have it structured is you don't just jump into outlining. I have it, what you do is a story pitch first. So first, okay. pitch yourself the story. And that's figuring out, like, 
who the main character is, what the genre is, what, what is the overall premise, what's the thing causing the conflict, what are the stakes, what's going to go wrong if, you know, they don't get what they want. And right. so I say, you know, the very first step is kind of figuring out those points. So it might be that for you as an author, figuring out the basic core of your story might be all you need. That, that might yeah. be your equivalent of an outline. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because right, right, we right. all work at whatever level we work at. What's interesting about what you just said mm -hmm. is you almost word for word said what I tell people when it comes to writing their book description. Mm. Um, so it makes me think that that there are the two are, uh, very, very similar, of course, mm -hmm. you know, uh, which I did when I, when I was working in film and TV, that's how you, you know, you do your, your one pager, you know, your one page pitch your treatment, one page treatment would be pretty short, but a, the pitch would be just like a book description and basically giving them that foundation for the outline. So. That's, well, that's, in, in my book, Story Pitch, which I wrote between the five-day novel and Outline Your Novel, that, that's what it covers, is, is how to write the pitch and then how to even turn that into a blurb. You got the whole set growing then. I, well, think of it like I was a college professor, right? So right. If, yeah. if that's the case, the five-day novel is kind of like my syllabus. Okay. And then what's the first level is you start with the story pitch. Then what's the next level? Well, then you got to outline. And so I'm just building out from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, and I think and that's I, it's very helpful, um, particularly with the will be author, who's coming in, no idea how to start this stuff. Um, that whole those foundational principles are useful. What so once you're kind of past that aspect, you're getting a, now you're into the five day novel, and you're you're gonna not necessarily write in five days. It's just good to know that you could. Mm -hmm. So what, what's the principal thing that people need to keep in mind as they're writing the novel? I would say probably the most important thing people need to remember is that at some point they were really passionate about the story, whatever it is, for some yeah. reason they, they really, really cared about it. It was really important for them to tell that. Yeah. Somewhere during the writing process, you're going to lose that passion. You're going to start hating what you're working on. You're going to start feeling frustrated with it. You're going to start thinking, you know what? I suck. I'm not yeah. good enough to do this story. And I would say that in those moments, the most important thing to remember is that you used to love this idea, that it was very important for you. And yeah. if you can push through this draft, you know, get, get a little space, you're going to be able to eventually see that passion again and feel it again. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how do you do that? How do you get that? How do you refuel that? Because that's, that's the tough part. That's the muddy middle, right? That's where you've gotten to the point where you've used up all the great ideas right away in your enthusiasm, you know. Uh, and you may even know how you want to end this book, but you're at that, that dry point in the journey where you, you have to figure out what's interesting about it again. <laughs> well, Kevin, that sounds like an outlining problem where you're just getting that lost in the like middle, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I it all, it's all one big, nice, neat package with you, Scott. Um, so yeah. And now, you mentioned you were a professor. What uh, did you teach writing or, or uh, I taught writing, digital media, photography, screenwriting. I had uh, no idea you and I had such similar backgrounds, man. I mean, I, I taught writing at the college level. I, I did media. I did photography. It's really interesting. I knew you were a photographer because we've talked about that in the past. Right. Uh, they, uh, and, and what, and, and do you do that as a, as, as an based business now or, or, was Sorry, just, you blurred out. What do I do it as what? I blurred out. I, okay. Uh, do you do the photography? I've got sirens going and it's distracting me because I'm like, am I in a burning building? Do I need to evacuate? 
um, is the photography a side income for you? Is it, uh, how, how's that work? For your business it, it kind of was at one point and and what kind of photography i did is i specialized in product photography okay so so board game publishers would mail me board games i would take photos and those photos would be used for marketing overseas or they would go on the amazon page and places like that they'd be printed for banners at conventions um i've kind of faded away from that as my writing has has brought in more income mm-hmm. so at this point it's maybe like 15 percent of what i'm making is photography and the, the rest is all writing Still interesting though. How often do you meet somebody who photographs board games? Well, until I was doing it, no one else was doing it. I kind of started it up, and and now there's a few wannabe copycats, but they can't cut it. Yeah. Well, what I was going to ask, like, how do you get to that career? Like, what? How did you manage to land a bunch of clients to do, uh, you know, board game photography? Uh, probably it was twofold. Is that we used to live in Maryland. Okay. And. I was researching for a book and I, I was thinking, okay, it'd be cool to have a character who designs board games, but I know nothing about board games. So maybe I should learn about board games. Mm-hmm. And we went to a convention in Delaware called Unpub and it's a convention for unpublished games. Okay. And so designers who have all these prototypes show up and you play test the games and then they tweak the games. Then, you know, you go to the next table, but the person you just play with is already playing with new rules with new players. Okay. And so it was a really good look into how board gaming works, how publishing works, because there's a lot of publishers who show up trying to pick up games, you know, like, oh, this is really good. You know, if I can kind of develop this game, it might be a big hit and so forth. Yeah. So I kind of got exposed to the industry that way. And I had my camera and I took a bunch of photos mm. and people were like, oh my gosh, these photos are so pretty. And someone was like, can I pay you for them? And I was like, I guess. <laughs> and then my, my wife, who's a chemical engineer, she yeah. got a job offer in Texas and it was like, well, chemical engineer makes a little bit more than a college professor. So let's move to Texas, mm-hmm. moved to Texas. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? It's like, well, I guess I'm going to do all writing and all board games. And, and that was like the, the final push is like, Oh, I need to make income. So, so let's, let's bring in the money. Yeah. 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 That's uh, so by accident. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it was, there was work there and there was eventually intention. I mean, but you didn't enter that field saying I'm going to be a, a board game. Oh yeah. No, or... not at all. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. That, and I find that a lot of careers kind of start that way. I just think it's interesting, you know? I mean, it's a bit of color in a career that, you know, it's like, where did that come from? Completely out of left field. So, and something that, you know, you rarely see on someone's resume. <laughs> Board game photographer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so you're saying that's like 15% of your income-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest is the indie author stuff. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, take, how do you tend to market your work? Through advertising? Is it, I don't know, was that a trick question? No. Oh, no, I, yeah, just, no just it's not a trick question, but I mean, you know, I get, all, I get a whole range of answers. Oh. Well, you, you know the industry as well as I do at this point, if not better, you know, you, you've been it too. How do you sell your books, Kevin? Well, I'm saying, yeah, you're not talking to me though. You're talking oh. to all 35,000 plus. 35,000, you have that many listeners? Oh yeah, you didn't know? No, I had no know? idea. I thought I, I, I always, I think I thought I always dropped that little brag line in there. No, that's pretty good. I'm, not, I'm impressed. That doesn't even put me anywhere near the greats, you know. Oh. Joanna Penn, I saw her numbers when we when DDD decided to advertise with her, and uh, I'm like, I thought I was good. <laughs> I thought, I thought, you got jelly. I, I am <laughs> on to something with this show. It is hitting right. a note. And it's like, oh no, it's hitting like a third of a note because mm-hmm. uh, Joanna Penn, Mark Dawson, those guys blow me away. But yeah, so you're, um, 
you uh i forget the quite the initial question i know it i know it i'm is asking you about your marketing yeah so you just you you stick primarily like exclusively to ads like facebook ads amazon ads something like that uh i would say most of my advertising goes into ams ads so amazon marketing service ads just because it's it's very easy and once you know where your break-even point is like for example i know that on my nonfiction books i can bid up to a certain amount per click okay and if i stay under that then i'm gonna not lose money yeah. if i go over that it becomes risky so once you kind of know what that that break-even point is it's very easy to go ahead and just throw a whole bunch of ads at it uh yeah, facebook yeah. there was there was a much stricter learning curve bookbub i am still trying to figure out bookbub yeah. but i still do bookbub i just haven't mastered it in any kind of I, way i mean i'll do their their big massive promotion but i don't do their like cpc yeah that's what i'm talking yeah i do those and 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 they're they're hit or miss and random or if i'm like okay i got a book launch out i want to make sure i do a big push just get the rank high i'll just throw it up knowing i'm probably going to lose money but yeah. Eh. yeah so are you um are you exclusive or wide i am both it just depends on what books uh, for example the the nonfiction books on writing for whatever reason they seem to always do better on Amazon no matter Amazon. what right so yeah. I don't have them wide my middle grade books are wide so it just kind of just depends yeah yeah no that's a strategy and that's you know and that's what I find too actually the nonfiction stuff tends to always sell better on uh, Amazon almost exclusively on mm -hmm. Amazon you can have it wide like I had I've had thirty day author wide since the beginning uh, and it it sells a handful of copies. Uh, elsewhere, but does great on Amazon. So, yeah, and uh, I do the good uh, with with page reads with those books too. So it's it's definitely worth having that on Amazon because yeah. I mean, where where do authors hang out? They they're going to hang out on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's marketing one on one, right? You go mm -hmm. where your audience is, and you you tune to that audience. So, um, yeah, no, I, that's great. And it, and so you're, uh, I do appreciate that you are uh, the AMS ads have been the most effective for me. Facebook ads did great for a long time. Facebook ads are great for list building. Mm -hmm. They're terrible for sales for me. Uh, I don't know if you've had that, a similar experience or you've even tested that, but I, uh, I'll use Facebook ads to build my list from this point on, I think. And that's it. I don't think I'm ever going to try to push, you know, maybe the occasional oddball promotion. Hmm. Maybe. I, I think okay with uh, with Kickstarter because I do an annual board gaming calendar uh -huh. every year and my my Facebook ads for those for some reason do really really well but it could yeah. be just because that's such a niche market it's easier to target yeah yeah well it comes back to audience right so yeah, exactly. you know, I, I'm a thriller writer so my thrillers uh, sell great in uh, through various platforms they sell great through various advertising but uh, Facebook I, I've never been able to really crack uh, anything significant, nothing, nothing to make it worth my time. Maybe I'll come back to it later. I actually canceled all my, all my ads. I, nothing's running right now. Cause I'm basically, what did that do to your, your ranking, your sales and all. Yeah. It maintains. It actually has really? gone up. Everything's gone. Huh. Up. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm also changed strategies altogether. It's not just that. So then what's the new strategy, Kevin? Tell me the secret. Very, very, very simply, it is treating your readers like normal human beings. I, it's all relationships. I've mm. been, I build my list, I've built up the list pretty big, around 30,000 mm. 30, to 40,000 uh, people on the list. And uh, I, I talk to them regularly, once a week or so. And uh, I don't sell to them very often. Mm. I basically just tell them, you know, hey, I, I just started the new book. 
today I sent out an email that was the title reveal. You know, what uh, was the title? The, it's the Antarctic forgery. Thank you for asking. The Antarctic <laughs> forgery. Uh, <laughs> now, by the time your, your interview here goes live, I may have the cover design. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I don't have the cover reveal yet. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're on a tangent. This is not, this isn't me. This is you. And uh, yes, but, but I, I am talking and I'm a good listener. So, so me becomes you. You're falling into podcast host mode is what you're doing. Mm. This is what I do on shows too. So I recognize the signs. Okay. Since we brought up the podcast, why don't you tell me a little bit, a bit about your show? Sure. I do a show called The Creators Cast. Uh, my intro is like, hi, I'm Scott King. This is Creators Cast, podcast for creators and the things they make. And then I say who I'm talking to, and then I talk to them about stuff. There you go. You're a joy to talk to, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know why. It's because I'm just kind of trying to have fun. That's really all that matters. No, I know. I'm just and, and even on my show, like – it's just there for me to talk to cool people. That's the whole right. reason I do the show. It's an excuse to talk to people. And, and along the way, what's nice is that you end up learning things from these people. You know, yeah. maybe it's not this interview, but maybe the next interview you do, you're going to learn something and it's going to help you in your business or your creative life. And, right. and that is definitely a, a joy that I take from it and the whole reason I do it. So then right. it's like, even like just randomly special when you get like an email saying, oh, Scott, I love the show, blah, 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 blah. Because at least for me, I get those like very infrequently. And when they do come, it's like, oh, wow, there is someone listening. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the whole reason my show is still around is because it gives me a chance to talk to people. Um, it's not exact. I mean, I, I've had multiple opportunities to try to monetize it. And I, mm. I, I, I am very lazy about it, you know. And so, <laughs> therefore, it's not a priority, right? Right, but exactly. I, I think I could probably, there is, there has been talk. Uh, the idea is there. I could probably make a living with the podcast. Wow. But it's not my, it's not the career that I'm after. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, I do it mostly to learn from people, which is why people, I, I'm, I've been very lazy about all the stuff I keep telling people I'm going to do someday. Someday I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Whatever. I don't get there. <laughs> <laughs> So now you're, um, how long has the show been running, by the way? I have no idea. We just hit like episode 135, 140, something like okay. that. So you and I, uh, but I, I've taken a few breaks through just because of like moving or family stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's been a while. It's been years. And you're in, uh, so you were in Texas. You actually were in kind of, I, I always consider Lake Jackson, Texas, my uh, sort of hometown. Okay. I didn't grow up in Lake Jackson. I only lived in Lake Jackson. Uh, actually, lived in Lake Jackson for about two, three years. But um, I always consider it my hometown because that's the closest place to where I grew up, where you could actually go and do your shopping and hang out with people. You know, we hung out in the Brazos Mall. Uh, that's that's <laughs> where I practically grew up. There's alligators behind that mall. Like when we first there moved there, people were like, oh, there's no alligators. You never see them. Then I'm at the park one day behind the mall and there's alligators in the water and there are signs saying, don't have your pets here. Yeah. 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 Uh, why wouldn't anybody believe that? It's right off of, it's a, it's got a feed off know. of the Brazos river, you know? So. That, yeah. That was very weird moving to Texas and there's alligators just everywhere. And then I saw rattlesnakes. I saw a scorpion. I saw a bobcat. I saw so many coyotes. I saw lots of things that could kill me when I lived in Texas and it was stressful. You're making it sound so rural. It's, it's not it's rural. It's deadly. City. It's different. It's very different. Yeah. It's very different. I grew I grew up in a rough place. That's what I was <laughs> telling people. 
Ascot King. Oh, I grew yeah. up with alligators and rattlesnakes. Oh, well, hello. We just got hit by, by Harvey and all. I mean, the hurricane, that was rough, too. That was scary as crap. That's pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. How did you, how'd you uh, fare through that? We got lucky that there was a levee on the outside of town. And yeah. so our house in the immediate downtown was fine. But everything around us was just underwater for miles. Yeah. yeah. And then we got trapped because all the roads, like, we couldn't evacuate. They were calling for evacuations. Then they were like, oh, Never mind. You're stuck there for weeks. You're stuck. Good yeah. luck. <laughs> Good luck. Eat, eat alligator. That's mm-hmm. how you're going to survive. Yeah, same thing here, man. I, I, I'm in Paralander, Texas right now. We're moving. I don't know if I've told Again? You. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're so nomadic, man. Uh, now, so we're, Barnes & Noble? <laughs> I am not. I actually, I, I like where we are. We're in the Paraland Town Center, but uh, they don't have a three-bedroom apartment here, and my wife is, is uh, getting to a point where she needs – an office space of her own. Mm. So we're going to move. We're going to move back to Sugarland. Oh, wow. Still very close. You know how close that is. Yeah. Uh, so but you yeah. guys have that really good uh, Korean fried chicken place right underneath you. I know. I know. It's dangerous. We got a <laughs> lot of places. I, th- this is one of the best places to be me that I've ever lived in. Because <laughs> I'm five minutes from bookstores. I'm five minutes walk. Mm-hmm. And that's if I take my time. That's if I amble right but I, i've got bars uh, there's a hotel bar i can see from my window right now <laughs> so <laughs> this is both the best and most dangerous place for me because i can go fuel up on whiskey and fried chicken and uh and 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 stumble home with no with no real effort uh, cholesterol is through the roof right now man um that's not here nor there. Where, where you're living now you're in uh pennsylvania are you in pittsburgh we are we are outside of pittsburgh uh lisa got transferred from a chemical plant in lake jackson to one kind of like northwest of pittsburgh i mean it takes us like 35 minutes to get downtown this place is so small it's very weird living from or going from houston which is a massive city to pittsburgh which is such a tiny little city yeah yeah yeah, I'm a, I've, I've been there several times. As you and I discussed before the call, I've got some family. It's actually my wife's mm-hmm. family. Uh, but I've spent a lot of time there. Now, the Nebula Awards have been there the past couple of years. Uh, so you, maybe you can go attend that. Uh, they happen in May, and I have tickets. Excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to this one. I think uh, Dan Wood and the other folks from Draft Digital will be there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I know Craig yeah. Martell's going because he was nominated or is nominated. I can't remember. Data Guy is going to be there. Oh, really? Yeah. I know Data Guy was a real person. I've always thought it was maybe like a group of people. I always kind of assumed that too, and then and, and now I know better. But he's, yeah, I always thought Data Guy, huh. I literally did think that Data Guy was not an actual human, but but several people contributing to Arthur Earnings Report. But well, should, it's one person. That's, that's impressive. One person. But we should wow. just keep that rumor going anyway. Okay, yeah. I'll tell everyone <laughs> that he's, he's multiple people. One of Data Guy will one be Data Guy. That, <laughs> <laughs> and then when we when, when you meet him just insist that he's that you know his secret know, you're, you're you're number three i know Kevin Tomlinson told me <laughs> you're like the culper spy ring you're you're, <laughs> you're a numbered individual um so, yeah tell him kevin Tomlinson told you that I'm, he won't know who i am but i'm sure that will go the drafted digital guy that's not dan wood told me that <laughs> it's amazing how often i'm introduced as the other drafted digital guy yeah I figured. I just assumed. <laughs> I'm making. I'm making an effort to change that. Mm. Soon, soon it'll be the other way around. You can okay. Words. Um. So you're. 
you're in Pittsburgh and you're continuing to do the, see, this is, this is interesting because your mm-hmm. wife's job is determining your locale. Right. Uh, how much of an adjustment has it been? Clearly you work from your home office primarily, right? Although I, no, I, you, you went to coffee shops and stuff. Yeah. I've been, I track you. So yeah, coffee shops is, are my go-to place. So when we were picking on what town to live in, we went to all the coffee shops until I found one I liked. I, mm-hmm. I got it down to like two places. And then I had writing days in each place to decide which coffee shop I liked better. And then we moved to that town. See, that's a, that's a concession. I, I like that. Your, your wife made that concession. I'm going to up, you know, move you across the country. So therefore you get to pick the town based on the coffee shop you like. Well, it wasn't the only factor. We did like the house, but, but, but that was one of the main factors is, oh, this had a way better coffee shop. What's the, what's the town? What town are you in? Uh, Beaver, Pennsylvania. Okay. It's okay. got like 3,000 people. So we went from like Lake Jackson, which is like 30,000 people. Right. To right. Beaver, which has 3,000. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is really weird. Cause even like, let's, let's say Pittsburgh, which I think is like 300,000 people at most. That's yeah. like Sugarland and Pearland together. In there. Like that's yeah. how different yeah. Texas is versus this side of Pennsylvania. Yeah, I know. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I was one, I, I was at the last Nebula Awards and uh, just between sessions or whatever, uh, one evening I did to do and I took a little walk and uh, it, I think maybe 15 minutes later, I was actually on the other side of the city mm. and, uh, and, and was shocked. But Bill Cosby was on trial in the city while I was there. So that is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that's, that doesn't mean anything. I, I'm not going anywhere with that story, but it was just interesting to know this. Just that, fun uh, fact. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel so bad about Bill Cosby, man. I, I, I don't want to get into it, but I just feel bad that that's the legacy. That's going to be the legacy. I used to have such a positive feeling about that guy. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, um, no comment. That was good. I was baiting you, but you you're not taking it. All right. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, what's uh, what's coming up? You so you just released outline your novel. So one of the weird things I do with my nonfiction books on writing uh-huh. is that I normally tie them to one of my fiction books. So the five day novel is is tied to the thriller. The story pitch is tied to my dystopian, and. Yeah. Outline Your Novel is tied to epic fantasy. So my, my big epic fantasy book is coming out in like two days. Oh, okay. And then I'm That's launching fun. a full series after that. What's the title? What should we look uh, out for? Wrath of Dragons. It's, it's, it's regular epic fantasy in the sense that it's second world. That's not contemporary. There's no, no sci-fi elements or things like that. Okay. It's, it's interesting. So you're, you're a cross-genre author. Do you do pen names? No, because I, I have too much of an ego and I like my name and I just want to be Scott I'm King. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It's really what it comes down to. It is, yeah, I would be much smarter to do pen names, but yeah. like, no, I want my books to say Scott King. I mean, I wrote it. I want people to know that I wrote it. That's, so. that's where I'm at. And I, there's, I, I, there's valid reasons to have a pen name. I just, I can't do it. I, I want to be yeah. Scott King. I do think um, sometimes I wish I, sometimes I wish I had actually done a pen name from the start just because Tomlinson is a very difficult name for people Mm. because, uh, and I always knew this, but I, it's really being accentuated online when, uh, when people review the books, cause it's always a, a, I'm it's Kevin Tomlinson Tomlinson. with an O or it's, you know, or they'll mm-hmm. throw a B in the middle of there. Uh, so that, that, that's a little problematic. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that by just becoming incredibly famous. Do it. Yeah. 
So, and Scott King, that's a great uh, author name. It just uh, my my problem that. is is Coretta Scott King. So yeah. Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife, because yeah. like no matter what I do, my legacy is not going to compare to her legacy. So she does beat me in a lot of searches. Yeah. Luckily, she didn't really write books. There's just books about her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, now here's what you do: mm-hmm. write a book about her, and then you that tie would just, the whole thing together. No, that'd be so confusing at that's, that point. It's meta. That's so meta. <laughs> that's so meta. <laughs> Create a board game about her. <laughs> I could do that. Create a board game about her, and then write the novel about the guy who created the board game about her and then do another nonfiction book about creating a board game and basing a novel on it. I guess you do the, fi- the fictional adaptation of the board game and then the nonfiction behind the scenes about, it. I guess that could work. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing this down. I'm, pre- I'm, I'm 98% sure that nobody listening is following that part of the conversation right now. Uh, all right. Well, look, we're, we're at time and uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, What's coming out next besides uh, you got the fi- you got the epic fantasy? What was mm-hmm. it called again? I'm sorry, I, I lost it. Wrath of Dragons. Wrath of Dragons. What's coming out uh, beyond that? You said you got some planned. So, in in regards to the kind of indie scene, it's very hot right now to write a book and then really quickly put the next book out. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that, especially with with stuff that requires a lot of world building. So, so yeah. what I'm doing is between the main novel releases, I'm releasing. Uh, anthologies of short stories so okay. there's going to be in april we're going to come out with a short story collection in july there'll be another short story collection and then book two of the epic fantasy series will come out next fall oh that's uh, that's that's mm-hmm. fantastic that's a great that is actually a great strategy so they're all, all right. time three months apart so you know algorithms and that kind of magic stuff yeah so the short story anthologies are they tuned to your specific uh you know the worlds that you've built Oh, yeah, and some of them are, are stuff that's set like 200 or 300 years before the main story. Some of them are with the main characters. Some of them are with side characters. And the, those books seem to be ranging about 25,000 to 30,000 words each. That's fantastic. So it's, so it's still enough that, you know, you feel like you get story and can right, kind of right. hold you over. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, man. I, I, I keep threatening to do something similar, or at the very least, I wanted to start staggering uh, novellas or short stories between each book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not do that between my last my last thriller and the one I'm writing now because I I went back and re-edited and fixed uh, the first thriller in that series, which had lots of problems. Uh, Whoa! Wait, hold on a second, because this is a big deal. <laughs> last time we talked, you were like, "Oh, I never rewrite. I, I never edit. Oh, I would never hire an editor. Oh, so I this know. is amazing I've that changed. you you were like, you know what? I've grown. I can reflect on this work, and I want to make it better. I think that's a big yeah. step, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you gotta if I if we're if we're not busy growing, we're we're busy dying. Something like that. So the short version of this story is. Mm-hmm. I knew there were a couple of big major flaws in that book, but that book won awards and got me a bunch of money and made me a bestseller. And, uh, it, and it, I had paid to have the audiobook done and I didn't want to break the whisper mm-hmm. sink or whatever. Right. So, uh, I, I, I dragged my feet for, you know, a couple of years, but it's now at a point where I, because the work following it is so much better. Mm-hmm. I don't want to turn people off, uh, and, maybe prevent folks from discovering the rest of the series right um but but honestly it still got five star reviews it still did very well so you know it didn't bother people too much it just bugged me uh but it's all fixed now and i even it even got a nifty new cover so i i think that is very cool and very exciting 
Yeah, man. I appreciate that. That does seem like the kind of thing that you would be on board with. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're a progressive sort. <laughs> well, just imp improving your work, no matter what stage you're at, I, I think is a good thing. And sometimes you need to do it just for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so where can people find Scott King's work online? Uh, my website is www.scottking.info. On Twitter, I am at Scott King. And if you want to check out the podcast, it's simply the Creators Cast on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to wrap everything up. You, fine listener, fine viewer, you are probably hearing the groovy theme music right now. Appreciate it, Uh You may dance in place at will. Stick around for uh, news and updates. You're going to have some cool stuff. I know it. I just psychically know it. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for being on the show, Scott. Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. Hear your book the way it was meant to be heard. With a fully custom soundtrack based on your material. An album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. SonataInscribe.com Hey, thanks for sticking around. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott King. Um, you know, he's one of these guys. I've been on his show a couple of times. He's always interesting to talk to. Um, he, you know, he drills down. He gets past the BS on his show. So <laughs> you should go check his podcast out. Now, um, I am, uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around. I want to, uh, I want to move us right in to the industry news. So cue that stinger. Uh, Okay, so first up, uh, <laughs> and by the way, the industry news is brought to you by draft to digital where you can uh, convert your manuscript, publish it online to retailers worldwide, get support the whole way. Uh, draft to digital is the best, fastest way to get your book to readers who love it and want it. So uh, go check them out at uh, draft to slash wordslinger and you'll help me in a little. So thanks for that. Okay. Um, let's get into it. So this week's publishing news, Barnes and Noble fires its new, its newest CEO, uh, with no severance pay. <laughs> now, um, if you haven't been following, if you haven't followed this story, this broke just before the uh, U.S. Independence Day holiday. Um, the uh, the CEO and I th I'm gonna I may butcher his name, Demos Parneros, Demos Parneros. Um, it, all Barnes and Noble would say about the incident is that he they cited violating company policies. Uh, they don't specify which policies, um, but. Uh, you can bet, <laughs> you can put your money on, um, if they let him go and there was no severance pay involved, it's going to be something uh, big. In fact, it probably involves at least one U.S. alphabet agency of uh, one variety or another, possibly the uh, FTC. Um, you usually don't see that, this kind of thing happen unless somebody has um, done some insider trading or uh, is has otherwise endangered the company itself with their actions. So um, I'm, I'm interested in this. Uh, Barnes and Noble's got kind of a rocky history when, uh, when it comes to CEOs, they, they, they can't seem to hold on to them. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about putting myself up for the, for the position myself. <laughs> if I do, I'm, I'm going to make sure that draft the digital handles all their ebook stuff. But, uh, um, so there, uh, this is an interesting story and something I think we should probably follow because, you know, Barnes and Noble is kind of an indicator species when it comes to, 
publishing in general, but uh, in particular for indie publishing, you know, unlike Amazon, it isn't a top leader, but it it's big enough that we can kind of see um, sort of the shift in motion, if you will, the way the industry is uh, turning. So it's uh, it's it's something we need to pay attention to. Um, so I don't know. There's no word yet, and I'm going to be watching this story to see what happens. Uh, but uh, Parneros was he joined the company in 2016. He became the CEO in 2017. So you can see there's not a lot of gap there. I mean, here we are in 2018. We're just in July 2018. Um, so he, you know, he spent about a year in holding that office, um, and uh, and he's out. So. Um, a lot of uh, execs in uh, Barnes & Noble didn't think he was a good fit for the role. Uh, and some of the things he proposed to bring the company around and kind of salvage uh, Barnes & Noble, you know, in their efforts to uh, to maintain a sort of market dominance, they were not great ideas. I mean, if you talk to, uh, I mean, you know, this is the guy, I believe this is the guy. Now, if I'm attributing something to him that wasn't uh, wasn't his fault, I apologize. But I believe this is the guy who decided that they should make Barnes & Nobles into more of like a wine bar, you know, focus on the restaurant side of things, um, sell more, uh, a, a bigger variety of merchandise beyond books, uh, which they already do some of this stuff. But, you know, the wine bar aspect of it, I mean, I, I would probably enjoy that <laughs> but i can't see how it's going to save them because um, everyone knows restaurants always do well right and everyone has uh has said at one point or another you know where i would like to go for a nice glass of wine barnes and noble because the screaming toddlers over in the uh, kids section would would accompany this this wine perfectly <laughs> so um so under uh, Parnero's tenure, Barnes Noble shares uh, lost 32%. They they downsized by 32%, and uh, there, there was little trade. There was little change after hours Tuesday. Stock has fallen more than 10% so far in 2018. Stock on the decline. Uh, CEO having some uh, the kind of trouble that warrants letting him go without pay, without severance pay. I don't know. I don't know. I hate to predict it because I love Barnes & Noble as an environment so much, but I really can't see how Barnes & Noble is going to survive another five years, two years even. So let me know what you think about this story. Now, you can find this, of course, uh, if you go to uh, wordslingerpodcast.com, if you go to the show notes for this episode, or if you look down into the show notes on YouTube, there will be a link, but you can find it at bit.ly slash 154-bn. Uh, that'll take you to the story that um, that I've been referencing on uh, CNBC. Now, um, next up is uh, English rapper Stormy's. Stormzy, I'm sorry, English rappers everywhere. English rapper Stormzy's launches a book publishing imprint and announces his own book uh, as the inaugural book of a, uh, this whole thing is, according to him, uh, it's all about the voices of a new generation. And of course, he's the first voice in that generation. Um, this is interesting in that, you know, we've got a, an environment now, to me, this syncs up well with the indie publishing movement. Uh, we've now, we now have the ability to, uh, to create imprints. And if we have a platform above and beyond books, you know, we can leverage that platform in creating a publishing imprint that could shape the world around us. That could actually, uh, change the way we, uh, 
interact as human beings. Uh, Stormzy is not a rapper I've heard of. He's not a, uh, uh, a media personality I'm familiar with. I will, uh, I will freely admit, although, you know, maybe, maybe I've seen his stuff or heard his stuff. Uh, but he's going to be publishing a book called on his own imprint called rise up. That's his story. Um, and, uh, you'll be able to, uh, check that out. Um, and of course these they're what they're doing is aligning with uh Penguin uh Penguin Random House's William Heinemann division. Uh and uh it's gonna be called Murky Books. Actually it's gonna be called hashtag murky books with a space. So you could I think this is a dumb idea, honestly. <laughs> if you're gonna name a company with a hashtag, then don't put a space in it. Because you can actually use the name of the you can use the hashtag to promote the brand, whatever. Uh but I guess my feeling is he's doing this all wrong. Uh so this voice of a new generation is not starting off on a good foot in my opinion. <laughs> but uh but uh the artist himself, Stormzy, says that when I was in school I fell in love with literature and looking back it's safe to say that this was the start of a lifelong journey with words, poetry, and writing. I read books, or I read books religiously and often wrote poems, which were undeniably setting me up for a career as a songwriter and a rapper. Um, I I appreciate that, and I, I think it's a testament, by the way, to the power of uh, the written word and how it can shape a life. And to go on and, and decide you're going to share that with others uh, through your own you know, efforts and your own business, uh, to make that something, uh, make it a, a part of your platform so that you can inspire others to do the same. That's what the indie publishing movement's all about, man. We indie publishers help each other do this exact thing. So, uh, inspiration can, uh, can lead all kinds of places. So <clears throat> I, uh, I wish him the best. I hope, uh, hope he does, uh, really well with this. Uh, and I may even have to, ch- I don't know if his, if I'm his demographic, but I'll happily check out his work, see what, uh, what he's uh, what he's got. I'll probably read his book at least, but I'll, I'll listen to the music. I mean, uh, I'm not a rap fan, but I, uh, uh, I'm open-minded. <laughs> Try to be. <clears throat> you can find this story, of course, in the show notes. Uh, check down below uh, in YouTube and go to wordslingerpodcast.com. This is episode 154, so... Find that episode and you'll uh, you'll find it. But if you want to just go there directly, you can go to bitly slash 154-stormzy. And that is stormzy, stormzy. So go check that out. Um, <clears throat> next up, now I'm excited about this story because <laughs> I've covered this. This will be the third time I've covered this story on the Words Laker podcast. Uh, but this is it. This is it. Uh, Cockygate is over. Um <laughs> Oh, if you're not familiar with Cocky Gate, you're clearly not a listener of this show, and uh, you've probably not been paying much attention to uh, social media. But Cocky Gate, uh, in brief, uh, artist—I um, mean, I'm sorry—author uh, Felina Hopkins uh, went and trademarked the word "cocky" and a stylized version of the word uh, in two separate trademarks. And uh, then proceeded to start sending out uh, cease and desist letters, emails, uh, telling people that uh, they needed to remove their their cocky from their titles and any marketing materials they have, uh, because otherwise she was going to start suing them. Um, now, of course, this caused a stir. There, are, the the word cocky has been used in the romance writing industry. The, the these books for for years, 
long before Felina Hopkins even put pen to paper. Uh, the word cocky has been used in romance titles. <clears throat> so there was a lot of question. Uh, and there were a couple of things. There's a question about first use because um, she it was not the first to use cocky as a title. And uh, it was only part of a title. That was another issue. So she, you can't copyright just part of a title. Although she argued that that would be like saying Star Wars colon The Force Awakens couldn't be a copyrighted um, or trademarked uh, title because it it's... You know, Star Wars is only part of the title. I disagree with that, and so did the courts. Uh, so, and in addition to that, she tried to trademark the uh, stylized version of it using a font that it, she was not legally allowed to include in a trademark. So, <clears throat> the uh, font's creator uh, was very outspoken about that as well on social media, was in full support of... Um, removing that trademark and uh, having it dismantled. So we had uh, quite a quite a stir. Um, lots of people got involved in this, and there were some groups that went out and started purposefully publishing books with the word cocky in the title as a sort of thumbing the nose. Uh, these got embroiled in the uh, lawsuits. Um, and uh, specifically, you know, this was supposed to apply to romance novels, but there were some authors who were caught up in the melee um, despite the fact that their book was not romance. Um, Candace Blevins' book, Cocky Queen, was pulled from Barnes & Noble, iBooks & Kobo, even though it was women's fiction and not romance, which is another issue. It means that there's a blurred line there. Uh, where, do we, where do we have the distinct line between a, uh, a category like women's fiction and a category like romance? So this comes to this is why this is important. These co these conversations are important. Uh, women's women's fiction does not necessarily have to involve romance. Okay, so if we are going to start lumping women's fiction in with romance, uh, we have a problem. And if we're going to start enforcing copyright and trademark infringement uh, uh, on common terms. We got a problem. So there's a lot. There's a lot in this case. The Authors Guild uh, actually got involved in this, uh, in opposition to Felina Hopkins. They brought their power to bear. Now this is also slightly alarming, <laughs> because um, it was essentially a very large and powerful organization targeting a single author. Uh, so there is there there is a little give and take here, uh, and plenty to be frightened about. <laughs> But uh, I'm actually glad to hear the outcome of this. The uh, the judge in the case has uh, uh, essentially they've just kind of written this off and uh, saying that there was no uh, the the whole issue of prior use, the whole issue of um, you know trademarking the the word itself, the font, um, everything involved in this. Uh, it really just came down to. Uh, a really bad strategy on, on Hopkins part. Um, and others are starting to do this, uh, from, from what I understand. And I'm hoping that their attempts at this get shot down. Uh, we've got other authors who are, who are out there, uh, trying to trademark terms as they apply to their books. Um, you know, uh, this article mentions Michael Scott Earl, uh, who has registered the words dragon slayer in a book title. Um, that, is appalling to me. And, uh, I mean, that is just straight up appalling to me. 
<laughs> so uh, I hope I hope this gets uh, I hope this gets swatted down. We don't need this, folks. We don't need this kind of garbage. Um, this is going to muck up the works and keep us all from making a living. And if you are the one perpetrating this, uh, you should be ashamed of yourself for trying to push this. You don't trademark things uh, in an attempt to edge out other authors. That's where competition starts, and we don't we don't have a competitive world uh, when it comes to publishing, not like not like other industries. If someone buys your book, that doesn't mean that they won't buy my book. It doesn't mean that they can't buy my book. It means that uh, they're going to enjoy your book and then they may come buy my book next. So you, your sales don't cannibalize my sales. It's just not how it works. Um, they might cannibalize your sales, the sales for that day, but they don't keep others from trying out the work that's that's why i believe in a non-competition environment um so others disagree with this philosophy i know um but what can i say they're wrong uh <laughs> no they may be, they may be right there are always points to consider uh on either side of this it's not strictly black and white but i have a very black and white view of uh of people who try to pull one over and especially on the, uh, the indie author, uh, community in the industry. So that is it for this week's news items on the words Linger podcast, of course, brought to you by draft to digital. Hope you enjoyed those stories. Um, if you want to hear more stuff like that, uh, make sure you subscribe to the show, hit the little notification icon on YouTube, uh, subscribe on, um, iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere fine podcasts are sold. Um, you can, uh, you know, drop me a line at wordslingerpodcast.com. There's a contact button in the, uh, menu on that site. Uh, just pop in there and send me an email. Let me know what you're getting out of the show. Let me know how you're doing. Uh, let me know, uh, you know, if you have a topic you'd like to cover or a guest you'd like to hear or, uh, you know, some suggestions of any kind, uh, reach out. Who knows? <laughs> I, uh, I officially have the rest of the year sewn up on um on interviews now that doesn't mean i might may not end up missing in a uh, week or so here or there uh, simply because i still have to produce those episodes but i started doing something kind of cool uh i started using trello to uh to organize the shows and i actually shot a little video of some of this uh i'm gonna i'm gonna try to pull these things together as kind of bonus material and um you may have heard several times uh, in interviews that I've talked about the Wordslinger After Show, and you may be wondering, like, where the heck is that? Well, the truth is, um, I started doing the video portion of the show just before 2018 started, and I've been grabbing these little five to ten minute um, after show interviews. Um, I have yet to produce any of them, and initially, I was only going to offer these on uh, Patreon. I, I may have decided to shift that just a bit. Um, and offer them, uh, uh, openly. I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm still experimenting, uh, but it would effectively be a second podcast associated with the, uh, Wordslinger podcast. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So feel free to, to reach out. Um, these would be real short and they would, uh, tie back to the full episode. So they're short consumables. <laughs> we'll say. So at any rate, thank you so much for being a part of the Wordslinger podcast. Hope you have a safe. I hope you had a safe holiday uh, if you're in the U.S. And I hope you have a safe and uh, uh, wonderful weekend uh, ahead in the weeks to come, uh, depending on when you're listening. Uh, God bless each and every one of you. I'll see you all uh, next time. 
Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Wordslinger Podcast. Now, you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com. That's where you're going to find back episodes, books by me, and links to anything and everything Wordslinger. And be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Wordslinger.